Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 33 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and today's episode is entitled First Aid on the Trail. We're going to go through and look at the best way to prevent uh, needing to give first aid on the trail. We're going to discuss first aid kits in a basic manner. We're going to look at first aid courses. And finally, we're going to go through and discuss an emergency smartphone app that can go through and be quite helpful in certain situations. We hope you enjoy. Now, for most of us, one of the last things we tend to think about when we go hiking is that an accident can or may occur, but really that's probably the thing that we should actually be thinking about, even if it's not front and centre of the mind. Uh, There's an old saying, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Now, I've been hiking for over 40 years, and the most serious issues that I've had to personally deal with have been blisters, the odd headache, and the occasional case of diarrhoea. Now, I don't consider this to be good luck, but rather ruthless planning on my part, having worked in adventure sports where I've had responsibility for the safety of groups undertaking risky adventures. You learn to uh, grow eyes in the back of your head, to read people, to see how they're reacting, and to anticipate things that are about to go pear-shaped. Now, most of my hiking these days is undertaken uh, either as a couple or uh, on solo hikes, And for me, this is now the focus of how I deal with first aid on the trail. Now, if you read a lot of hiking articles or hiking books, the traditional wisdom tends to talk about the ideal number of people for a hike. And this number um, is uh, is set at four, with the idea being that if a group of four are traveling together, one person has an accident, you can then leave another individual to look after them while two people hike out Uh, to seek help, if that's indeed what has to happen. In the days now where we have personal locator beacons and mobile phones, that may not be as big an issue. It's interesting, though, because some of the guidance that you still get when you're on on the trail, um, for some of the bigger uh, treks that we've done, that's the recommendation from national parks and... um, uh, the the managers of the recreational areas. Um, so they're still sticking to that. And it's a really interesting thing because often you don't find people walking in fours. Um, and I, I think it's a bit confusing and uh, perhaps needs to be updated. I think the other thing that's that's happening these days in hiking, if you think for those of you that have been hiking for a number of years, Certainly um, 10, 20, 30 years ago, the people that did the longer hikes tended to be very experienced with what they were doing. Now we're getting a lot of people coming into hiking that haven't had a lot of experience. Uh, They're often doing um, guided walks and having people look after them. Uh, And that's fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it does mean that uh, their skill level may not be as high, particularly when they first start off. It's something that they have to build up and develop. 
As mentioned, we also have access to a mobile phone service, which we didn't have sort of 20 odd years ago or 30 years ago. We also have good access to personal locator beacons. Um, and there's less reliance on individual skills and ability uh, to get ourselves out of a problem. But having said that, even with all these uh, technological marvels that are available to us, um, if you set up a personal locator beacon, um, it may not be um, a, a short period of time before someone comes to, to help you out. And a good example of that is the Larapinta Trail. In talking to um, a number of rangers on the trail last year, they said that um, f- they don't fly at night time. Um, and if they, uh, if they can, they'll actually drive to the site and walk people in to see if there's any, uh, any issues uh, and then get a helicopter in the next day to evacuate. So there is going to be a period of time when you or you and your partners are going to have to fend for themselves. And in that example, we heard a story of someone who'd uh, broken a leg and um, the rangers did walk in. Uh, they stayed with the person overnight um, and then they uh, carried the person out to a particular point and then they were evacuated. So it was quite a considerable period of time before the individual was uh, receiving uh, town-based uh, medical attention. Now, as I've already mentioned, I like solo hiking and, and hiking as a couple. Uh, and so it's not unusual for me to be, as a solo hiker, uh, totally isolated in remote areas uh, and not have any other individual within a 30-kilometre distance of me, which means if something does happen or I injure myself or I get bitten by a snake, I'm going to have to fend for myself until help arrives. Uh, in this situation, I have the confidence uh, in my own skills and ability to minimise the possibility of an accident occurring. Uh, and should it occur, I can manage it until help arrives in most situations, not all. I, um, we've talked about in previous episodes about the, the benefits of hiking uh, as, as solo hikers or as couples. And certainly from a point of view of solo hiking, you really have to have the skills and abilities and be paying very good attention to what's going on. Um, if you make a mistake and there's nobody else around, you're the one that's got to deal with the, the outcomes of that. And I think one of the things that we do when we go hiking is that we actually watch each other, um, perhaps subtly sometimes and not so subtly other times, to see how, how the other person's tracking. And uh, I think we've talked about in the past there are days when um, perhaps I'm not doing so well and uh, Tim's watching me and other days when Tim's not doing so well and I'm watching him. Um, that's all part of uh, managing the safety uh, of the group and being really aware of what's going on um, as, as a way of avoiding uh, issues happening. But sometimes they do and sometimes you need to be able to deal with them. So really what it comes down to uh, here is planning is really the key. Now, there's no way that you can plan out any eventuality or any possibility or prevent every incident or accident occurring. Sometimes things just happen for no reason or no fault, uh, and you need to go through and deal with them. Uh, But certainly you can look at your 
hike. You can work out what the resources you need, what the environmental conditions are, what equipment to take with you, uh, what emergency gear to take with you, and you can go through and at least plan as best as possible uh, to deal with the issues that do occur. So that's really our first tip for dealing with first aid on the trail is plan uh, as much as you possibly can to reduce the likelihood of anything occurring. In addition to planning, the other things that are going to go through and help you with dealing with first aid issues on the trail is carrying the first aid kit, and we'll look at that in a moment, having the appropriate first aid training, and carrying a personal locator beacon whenever you are out of mobile phone range or in a remote area. And I must admit, even when I am in a mobile phone area, uh, but I'm in a remote area, I'll often carry a personal locator beacon. Uh, Sometimes the mobile phone battery might be flat. um, And over recent weeks, we've done a couple of uh, hikes that have been in very cold conditions. And the mobile phone batteries, while they've been full, have just given the the indication that they haven't got enough strength to actually get a signal. So it's better to have a beacon with you uh, just in case. And we've also done some uh, walks on the south coast of New South Wales recently where we're very, very, very close uh, to local towns and we haven't had uh, phone coverage uh, from the moment we've parked the car and walked away. Um, So, you know, in those circumstances, uh, there was probably a maximum of 10 kilometres that that we were hiking, um, but you know, that's certainly a significant distance in an area where you would probably have thought you would have at least some coverage along the way, particularly if you're running along high ridges and so on. So now we're going to go through and have a look at first aid kits. Now, everyone without exception really should be carrying a first aid kit anytime they leave the confines of the city and go bush. Uh, and these days, if you've if you've done a first aid course, which many of us have, you'll find that pe- uh, the first aid agencies, Red Cross and Johns, all those sort of things, will actually recommend you carry a first aid kit in your car. But having a first aid kit in your car might be helpful when you're out bush. But if you're uh, 20 kilometres or 30 kilometres from your car, which I have been on regular occasions, it's not much use having one in your car and not on you. What your first aid kit looks like is going to depend on a number of factors. And these include uh, what the likely issues are going to be. So if are you walking in an area where there are a lot of snakes, in which case you're going to have to be prepared for that? How long is the trip? What problems are likely to occur? I mean, as an example, do you have problems with blisters? And I must admit, I'm fairly lucky um, through having very tough feet, through having... Uh, uh, spent a lot of time selecting the right footwear, including socks and and, and shoes. Um, blisters for me are fairly rare. Blisters for me are very common. <laughs> I always carry Band-Aids. <laughs> and the other thing is, do you have any known medical conditions? Are you a diabetic? Do you have a heart condition? Are you an asthmatic? Uh, all these things are going to change or impact on what you're likely to carry as part of your first aid kit. These factors are also going to vary from trip to trip. If I'm just doing a three-kilometre walk up our local mountain, um, which is, for me, only around about a kilometre from home, I'm not going to carry a full first aid kit. I have my phone on me. Uh, Worst-case situation, um, I'm able to 
use alternatives to carrying a dedicated or a, a purchase first aid kit to solve any issues until help arrives because it's not really that far away. But the opposite then also occurs that if I am 30 or 40 kilometers away from the nearest other person, I want to make sure that I've got all the equipment that I'm going to need. I think that's an important uh, thing to remember, that it's that distance or the time between uh, something occurring and you needing external or outside assistance um, and when that assistance is going to arrive. So, you know, the shorter the time, the less you probably need to carry. The longer the time, the more you might have to think about your first aid kit and what it contains. Every individual should have their own first aid kit rather than relying on a single kit. So if you go through and do a commercially run walk, you'll find that the track leader will have a fairly comprehensive first aid kit, but it doesn't mean that every time you get a blister, they're going to hand out Band-Aids or, <laughs> or give you Panadol or ibuprofen or anything like that. That's sort of personal stuff you should be carrying with you. Um, as Jill said, um, she tends to have an issue with blisters, so she uses, a fairly, uh, uses Band-Aids fairly regularly, where I hardly use them uh, at all. So it's really going to be a matter of um, Jill will carry... Um, additional things or some of the things in addition to the first aid kit that I happen to be carrying. And also if you are in an organised group, um, you know, the first aid that you do and the training that you receive um, as part of the running of those organised groups is very much of the order of you carry the kit, but you shouldn't be recommending things to people. Uh, they should be making choices. Unless it's an, an absolute emergency, they're unable to make choices for themselves. So uh, in the example that Tim gave about handing out Panadol, um, in an organised group, someone may have, the group leader may have Panadol, um, but they will open the kit and say there might be something in here that helps you and you have to make the decision yourself. So, you know, no one's going to manage this for you. Um, you're going to have to be thinking about this and you're going to have to be thinking about what you need and, and uh, your own limits. And while, we're, while we're talking on the subject of Panadol, um, it may be an issue that some medical conditions uh, actually prohibit you or um, actually limit your ability to take specific types of painkillers. So as an example, pregnancy or certain medical conditions. Uh, and really, the track leader isn't going to know that or, or may not know that. It's up to you to say, well, hang on a sec, I can take this type of painkiller, but I can't take that one. And that's something, again, if you've got your own painkillers, you can make those decisions. Now, the following, uh, we'll go through and just discuss Bruce briefly what um, we carry as a first aid kit. And I'll just give a bit of disclaimer here. Uh, this first aid kit we're going to go through and look at is what I carry. Uh, and it's what I carry for uh, on a solo hike, particularly the longer hikes, uh, or what I carry for the two of us when we go hiking. And it's based on what we typically use um, and have done over a period of years. But in relation to carrying particular types of medicine or painkillers, it's best if you talk to your own doctor about what sort of things you should actually be carrying. And I think the thing I would say is keep it simple. 
Um, you can carry lots and lots and lots of things. And we've seen uh, people who have got, um, you know, medical training with very complex first aid kits. And, um, you know, that's fine. They're, they're trained to use all of the, the pieces, all the items in their kit. Um, but the real question is, is it really necessary? And do they really need to carry all of that? Um, given the assistance that they would get in an emergency anyway. Now, what I'd suggest here, we're just going to briefly talk about bits and pieces that are carried in a first aid kit, but I'd suggest you go over to the written version of this podcast where we have a list uh, actually written out for you so you can get a better indication rather than having to sort of scribble stuff down. Now, the first and most obvious thing is some sort of a container to carry your first aid kit in. Um, we've got a picture of what the contents of my first aid kit and as well as what we're carrying it in. Um, I've done a fair amount of overseas traveling. Uh, we tend to buy the first aid kits when we go to particularly re- uh, remote countries from the travel medical centers and they'll pack something up for us based on what they know the conditions that require. And the, the, the small um, bags that they actually provide are very good little little bags, but it doesn't mean you can't use something else it just needs to be robust uh, and protect the, the kit from the elements. So for us, um, this kit um, uh, is really, as I said, it's, a, it's a, a coverall kit and sometimes we don't carry all the items in here. But things like Band-Aids, uh, non-stick wound dressing, uh, leucoplast, um, as far as tools are concerned, things like a small pair of scissors for cutting uh, the leucoplast or cutting band-aids up, or even cutting clothes if need be. Uh, tweezers for removing um, uh, splinters and spines you may have come across. Safety pins, which can be used for any number of things, including fixing clothes or fixing your pack if need be. Uh, an emergency contact card. Now, this sounds a bit odd, but for those of you that have done a first aid, first aid course, you may realize that if, if someone comes across you, you're um, not too coherent uh, and not able to say what's gone wrong with you, if they can check your pack or check your wallet to say, okay, look, uh, this is my name, this is who I am, and oh, by the way, I'm a diabetic or I've got these medical conditions. That certainly does help. Notepad and pencil, so if you need to write things down. so This if- is not so you can write a letter home. <laughs> So, you know, this is for if an accident has occurred on the trail and it's going to be, you know, half an hour, an hour, a couple of hours or even a half a day before uh, the emergency services get to you. Um, it's going to be, um, it's good to know from the paramedics point of view, they want to know what you've done and, what, and what's occurred. And you may not re- remember what's happened over the last two or three or four hours. So write it down. Yeah. So it's important to keep note of times, uh, keep note of uh, conditions at those times, things that happened, um, and keep note of uh, when you check. Uh, so this is for the person who's uh, looking after you if you're not able to do it yourself. Um, and also keep note of when something changes. Um Antiseptic cream, triangular bandages, again, in case you injure your arms, uh, compression bandages, saline solution for washing out wounds, um, some sort of splinter needle or splinter pick to get uh, things out. Uh, and this is probably something where it's a bit deeper where you can't actually grab it with a, a pair of tweezers. 
a face shield for resuscitation. Now, this is probably, if you're going to be hiking with your partner, you probably don't really need this. But I don't know about that, Tim. <laughs> I suppose the issue here, and certainly when you do the first aid courses, it may not be an issue of disease, but it might be that um, there's poison involved or chemicals involved that you're not sure of. Latex gloves, um, antiseptic wipes. Now, we talked about painkillers, and for me, I up until probably the last 12 to 18 months, I always used to use things like uh, Panadol. Uh, but more recently, particularly as I go onto the longer hikes, I use ibuprofen. Now, the reason for this is that it treats inflammation. So if you've been walking 20 and 30 kilometers in a day or, for, or more, um, you, you, your feet and your legs might be a bit swollen, and this helps to reduce that. Uh, and it is very effective. However... There are conditions such as pregnancy and others that you can't use ibuprofen in. So again, this is where you need to be aware of your own situation and talk to your doctor. Uh, now, the next two are the odd ones, and I'll call them stop and go. Uh, and stop is essentially for diarrhea, and go is for constipation. Uh, and there's, for the, a lot of you that have done been hiking for quite a while, realize that every so often your digestive system gets a bit out of whack uh, on the trail, and sometimes you just need to bring it back into balance again. There's nothing worse than being on a hike and you're, um, you've got a, a digestive issue that you can't <laughs> deal with. I think this is a bit of a theme, Tim. You keep talking about the digestive issues. And the last one as well is a thermal black, uh, blanket. Now, this is in case of shock or in case um, uh, you need to keep someone warm, particularly during the cooler months. You can always use a sleeping bag, but it may be it's a day hike and you don't have it with you. So thermal blankets are actually quite small uh, and quite compact. Now, this gets stored, as I said, inside my soft pack, which lives in my pack brain or just inside the top of the pack. And in addition, I'll go through, particularly when there's any items that are likely to get wet or damaged, they'll go into Ziploc bags just to keep them protected. Um, one thing to remember is the kit needs to be checked on a regular basis. Now, in doing this article, I dragged my first aid kit out of the cupboard. I had a look at it and realized that I'd run out of a number of things and things were a bit out of stock. So this forced me to go through and restock my kit back to where it needed to be. The other thing is that some of the things like the painkillers and some of the other uh, things like antiseptic cream have use-by dates on them. So it's no good having things that are four and five years old and that are out of date. Now, whatever items go to make up your own first aid kit, the golden rule is if you don't know what it is or you don't know how to use it, then it's not worth carrying. Uh, it's no good carrying a kit that allows you to do a tracheotomy if you've got no idea how to use it. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that on me. <laughs> so, and again, I have talked to uh, fairly experienced hikers, uh, and I talked to a pair uh, last year that were actually both paramedics, and they actually took um, uh, intravenous drips with them, and they administered, dri administered drips to each other, uh, which made them feel a lot better than they would have normally done after a fairly hard day. And this is really well and truly over and above what a normal hiker is going to do. Uh, and it's something that they chose to do, but not something I'd necessarily recommend. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll talk about uh, first aid courses in a minute. Um, but really, you know, the, the role of um, the treatment that you give someone in an emergency 
is about keeping them, you know, getting them out of danger and and uh, trying to um, prevent the condition from uh, worsening either through exposure or through um, non-treatment, but it's not about fixing it. Okay, you know, you really need to get that in your head. Uh, we're not medical people. Um, it's really about basic first aid assistance. Now, the next thing we're going to go through and look at is first aid courses, which, which we've already gone through and mentioned. It's one thing having a first aid kit, but again, if you don't know how to use it, it's not going to be that effective. Um, so certainly for us, uh, I have been a first aid instructor in the past. I have um, always kept my first aid up to date, even though I'm no longer an instructor. And I will continue to do refresher courses uh, at least every two years uh, to keep myself up to date. Um, certainly one of the things on my list um, over the next 12 months before I've got a couple of very extended, uh, very remote hikes that I'll be doing is to do a remote area first aid course. And what this allows you to do is to go through and um, deal with a, a potentially longer time period uh, or be a bit more innovative in how you treat um, uh, with some of the skills. Now, as Tim said, uh, we've done a lot of first aid training in the past. We've kept our training up to date. Um, I have to be, you know, very grateful here that um, I've never had to use my first aid training beyond uh, offering somebody a Band-Aid um, for a, bl a, a blister. Um, and I'm really pleased about that. But if I need it, um, I've done it, and hopefully um, it'll kick in at the right moment. Now, we've, prov we've provided a number of links to some of the more common first aid courses around the country. There are many more, so by no means is this an exhaustive list. Have a look at the links online and the written article. Have a look at um, your, uh, first aid courses within your local area. And if you haven't done a first aid course before, do one. If it's been a while since you've done an update and the resuscitation has certainly changed over the last five to ten years. So it's worthwhile doing a refresher if it has been a while. One other thing that I'll go through and mention here, which is not really specifically first aid, but it's something that everyone should have with them, is the Emergency Plus smartphone app. This is an app that really only works when you are within phone range. So if you're in very remote areas, it's not going to be much help. Uh, but what it does do is it allows you to open the app and providing you haven't got all your phone locked down, it'll tell you things like your latitude and longitude, which uh, you can actually press a button to call the SES or to call um, the emergency services to get help. Uh, and when they ask you where you're located, you can give them a specific area down to your latitude and longitude. And I know there have been instances where uh, there was one just recently over the last couple of months where uh, a mother and daughter were hiking. The young girl managed to get a phone signal, didn't know where they were. The operator talked the young girl into loading the app on the phone and then reading out the coordinates. And they were able to go through and get the rescue services to them. So it, it's not a not a, a catch-all sort of service. Um, I'd still suggest carrying a personal locator beacon when you are outside of phone range. But when you are when you are inside of phone range, this is a very good app to have on your phone.
All right. Now, just as the, a final word on this, uh, while it's all but impo- it, it's it's pretty much all but impossible to rule out the chance a hundred percent of any accident or injury occurring on the trail. You can minimise it uh, uh, by good planning, uh, but things just happen. You might trip on a rock. You might twist your ankle. <laughs> trip uh, on a rock twice. I did that. <laughs> um, Hit my head twice. <laughs> Uh, so it's um, it's better to have the skills and the equipment to know what to do in those sort of situations. And it may be that you're not the one that has the accident. You could be on the trail. Um, I did the Canberra two-day walk earlier on this year uh, and came across um, a, an older gentleman who had a quite a bad fall uh, and injured himself. Uh, and there were already a number of people there that were helping him and the ambulance was just arriving when I came through. Uh, but, you know, the fact that people were there and knew what to do, they were able to help him. So I issue a challenge to all hikers to go through and do a first aid course if you haven't done one. If it's been a while, upgrade it. Uh, and to go through and check your first aid equipment. Just because you packed it 12 months ago or 15 months ago doesn't mean somebody hasn't been in there and, and cleaned all your painkillers out or grabbed all the band-aids because that's the last ones in the house and you're expecting to find them on the trail. So we've gone through and we've had a look at uh, first aid kits and what you might uh, contain, what you might carry in a first aid kit, um, and looking at courses uh, that you might consider doing. Uh, We mentioned the emergency plus smartphone app and Tim's given you a challenge uh, to get trained uh, to uh, update your skills and to check your first aid kit. Um, The last point we'd like to make is that this is really important for everybody irrespective of where you are and whether you're doing a lot of hiking or not. Um, We do need to be able to help people in all sorts of different situations and it might just be outside your house in the street one day that somebody needs a little bit a bit of support and a little bit of emergency or first aid assistance so um, it's also an area I think where most of us are least experienced and least knowledgeable uh, sadly enough so uh, time to upgrade your skills time to make it a big point uh, we can say that you know, we plan what uh, what we hike and everything goes to plan, but maybe it doesn't and maybe you need a bit more knowledge. All right, that's all for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed. Next episode or next regular episode in two weeks' time will be on wet weather gear for hiking, um, particularly now we're in wintertime and we seem to be getting a lot of rain, particularly on the east coast of Australia. It's probably a good time to talk about that. As always, this episode is available to download through our website at australianhiker.com.au, through SoundCloud, through iTunes, and through Stitcher Radio. If you have the time, please go through and rate us on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all from me. I hope you've enjoyed. Bye for now. And bye from me.